0: This is Anchor LA, a podcast presenting world headlines, technology news, arts and data, and encouragement from the Praise Light Media Studios in Panorama City, California. Good day. It's Wednesday, the 14th of March, 2018. At least 49 people were killed when a plane crash-landed and caught fire at Nepal's Kathmandu Airport on Monday. The Bangla Airlines flight from the Bangladeshi capital of Dhaka was carrying 67 passengers and four crew members when it started flying erratically during landing, missing the runway, and crashing. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, which stated that 22 passengers were taken to the hospital, some in critical condition. 33 Nepalese, 32 Bangladeshis, and one Chinese, as well as one Maldivian, were on the aircraft that crashed. According to South Africa's Times Live, the accident is the deadliest in Nepal since September of 1992, when all 167 people aboard a Pakistan International Airlines plane were killed when it crashed as it approached Kathmandu Airport. Fitbit on Tuesday announced the Fitbit Versa, which the company described as the smartwatch for all. At a more entry-level price point of $199, the Versa is aimed at mainstream users who aren't looking for a plethora of apps or LTE capability. It will also replace the Fitbit Blaze, the GPS-less modular watch that Fitbit launched two years ago. Though the Versa also won't include a built-in GPS, it does boast a four-day battery life. According to the Verge, the Fitbit Versa basically looks like an Apple Watch. Fitbit also announced the kid-oriented Fitbit Ace, which will include many of Fitbit's features in a pared-down hardware model. Kids 8 and older wearing the device will see that it automatically tracks steps, active minutes, and sleep on a 5-day battery. Using a Fitbit family account, parents will be able to monitor and control who their kids connect with in the Fitbit app and other features of the Ace Band. This all coming as Fitbit after acquiring rival Pebble's assets strives to stay in the smartwatch market against giants like Apple Watch and Android Wear, possibly soon to be renamed Wear OS. In 1984, in a home in Detroit, Michigan, Dr. Sayed Bazoorg Mahmoudi and his wife Betty made plans to see the doctor's family in his native country of Iran in order for them to meet the four-year-old Matab, daughter of Betty and Sayed, or Moody as his wife called him. In preparation for their arrival, Betty, at Moody's request, gave him her American passport so it would not be confiscated by customs. Once they had landed in Tehran, Moody's family had already gathered at the airport to meet them, and welcomed them warmly in Iranian custom. According to a book, Not Without My Daughter, which she would write years later, Betty mamoudi related that during the next two weeks, both she and her daughter longed for that vacation to be over. They had great difficulty adjusting to the Iranian lifestyle. Their host, Ameh Bazorg, Moody's sister, viewed Betty with contempt for being an American and holding to American ideals. Moody's attitude toward Betty also changed. He forced her to abide by increasingly strict Iranian customs and ignored her and their daughter for days at a time. The day before their scheduled return to the United States, one of Moody's relatives went to the airport in order to make the preparations for their departure. He informed them that since Betty had an American passport, she needed to turn in her passport to the airport officials three days before her departure. When she confronted Moody about not turning in her passport, he informed her that he had decided to stay and that Betty and Matab would remain in Iran for the rest of their lives. Virtually now held captive in a hostile Iran ruled by the strictly radical Ayatollah Khamenei Betty and her daughter attempted to plan an escape. Iran was plunging into darkness after the Shah of Iran's rule ended in 1979 and a radical Islamic government had taken over all in the space of a few weeks. Only a few hours after the monarchist government of the Shah had left and the Ayatollah had taken over, almost every symbol and reference to Western culture had been removed across a now-radicalized Iran. And so, now in a very hostile country, Betty and Matab continued to plan an escape. In September of 1984, while Moody was not home, they traveled to the Swiss Embassy in Tehran and spoke to a representative in the American Interest section since the U.S. had no embassy in Iran. That representative, Helen, informed them that since Betty's husband was Iranian, Iran's laws dictated that C2 had become an Iranian citizen. Upon finding out that she had left unsupervised, Moody threatened to kill her if she left again and commanded the rest of the family to prevent her from leaving. Now, Betty's every move was being watched. She realized that she and Matab could not escape with the surveillance, so she reasoned that the only way that Moody would stop watching her was for her to convince him that she was willing to stay in Iran. Over the months, her attitude improved and she convinced him to move in with different relatives. Betty started helping around the house and preparing dinner. Moody accompanied her on all of her errands, but eventually he claimed not to have the time and told her to go herself. On one of these occasions, she befriended the owner of a menswear store who Betty called Hamid in her book in order to protect his true identity. Hamid sympathized with Betty and offered her use of his telephone if she needed it. Later, Betty encountered another woman married to an Iranian. She relayed her plight to her who promised to help her and put her in touch with a friend, Rashid, after finding a way to escape the country. However, he informed Betty that his friend, a smuggler, was unwilling to take a woman and a child on the journey over the mountains into Turkey. The months slowly passed and in 1985, Betty again escaped to the Swiss Embassy to speak with Helen. She had Betty and Matab fill out applications for new passports, but when Betty asked about a way for her and Matab to be smuggled out of Iran, Helen warned against trusting smugglers, especially those willing to smuggle them across the treacherous Turkish border. So 1985 passed, with the situation only growing more frustrating as several escapes and suggestions failed almost before they were planned. In mid-January of 1986, Betty learned that her father was dying. Moody insisted that Betty return to the US, but demanded that Matab remain in Iran. Despite her refusal to leave without Matab, Moody booked her a flight on January 31st. But on January 29, 1986, Moody, an anesthesiologist, was unexpectedly called to the hospital. Knowing that this was her last chance before she was forced to leave Iran without her daughter, Betty called a contact, Amal, whom she had met during a meeting for a previously failed plan. Amal hid her and Matab in an apartment for three days before formulating an escape that took them into the deserted regions of northwest Iran and slowly over the dangerous mountain passes into Turkey, where they then took a bus 32 hours west to Ankara, where there was an American embassy who granted them sanctuary. The embassy also helped them get airline tickets for a trip back to the U.S. later on that same day. On February 7th of 1986, Betty and Matab finally arrived back home in Michigan after spending 18 months trapped in Iran. In 1991, actress Sally Field portrayed Betty and the story of her trip to Iran and the escape from it in the movie also called Not Without My Daughter. The film was poorly accepted, however, by those who saw an imbalance in portrayals of Iranians and Muslims, but very few if any critics dispute the facts that an American woman was taken hostage in 1984 by her own Iranian husband and held captive in a country which hated her country of origin, and this woman escaped that country with her daughter, despite all odds. One of today's primary goals among certain groups and ideologies is world peace. A wildly popular term in the 1970s and even again now is the word peace, used for any and seemingly all circumstances. But just like the word love, the definition of peace has been corrupted by a godless culture into meaning something far different from what it truly is. Peace is not achieved by the absence of war, nor is it achieved by leading a holistic life, political activism, exercise, yoga, or meditation, and it isn't something that this world can or will ever bring about. So what exactly is peace? Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Paul also told the Colossians that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him and to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So how did the cross, meaning the events of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, how did that bring peace? Jesus was killed and all of man's hatred and anger was vented against God. On the cross, the guilt-free Son of God was accused. He was hated and killed. But he was perfectly pure. He was blameless. And because of his perfectness, the execution for sins that were not his, atoned for all of our sins, past, present, and future. His death brought about a satisfaction, a peace, for the unimaginable wrath directed at us, for our sins, then directed at the perfect Jesus Christ instead. Grace to you Put it this way. On the night that Jesus was arrested to be killed, Jesus' disciples fled in fear. The sky flashed lightning, the earth shook violently, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And yet, through that violence, God brought peace. God's greatest righteousness confronted man's greatest wickedness and righteousness one. So peace, contrary to the flipped understanding of today's culture, is only achievable through Christ. In fact, anyone who does not belong to God through Jesus Christ, anyone who does not follow Christ and his word can never have peace or even be a true peacemaker. Only God can work peace through us by working first his peace in us. As Christians, we may go through hardships, difficult times, things that everyone deals with in life, and some things that only Christians will face in this life. But in our deepest being, we have peace that passes all understanding, like Philippians 4 assures us. We see many people today living in seemingly favorable circumstances, but without God, they will never know peace. In stark contrast, we who cling to the one true God always, even in the worst of circumstances, will never lack peace. May we, when we find ourselves over our heads in stress, in strife, life, and conflict, may we call out to Him for His incomprehensible peace, may we pray for an acute remembrance of the total peace given to us through the cross and the joy that the knowledge of Christ brings us. Thanks for listening to Anchor LA on Twitter at Anchor LA Podcast and Facebook.com slash Anchor LA, where you can find links and information to various topics we cover on the show. Contact us anytime with questions or comments or call into our show directly on the Anchor app with input or suggestions. We'd always love to hear from you. Until next time, from Panorama City, California, I'm Ben Ditzel. This is Anchor LA.